jogging in Queens, the women on Long Island were unstartled and furious. They did not call to warn their daughters. They called their sons, sat them at the kitchen table and said, if you ever, and I mean ever so much as make a woman feel uncomfortable, I will take you to the deli and put your hand in the meat slicer. You think I won't? You hear me? I will make a hero out of you with mayonnaise and tomatoes and dill and onions. Hey guys, and welcome back to Girl Talk. I'm your host, Jasmine Milner, and today we have a special guest, and I am so excited to have her on. In trying to pick who I wanted to be the first episode, because I've done so many amazing interviews this past year, and I really didn't know who to pick, she kind of exemplifies everything that I want this podcast to be. She's powerful, she's smart, she's strong, and she doesn't take any shit from anybody, to be frank about it. She is a poet whose videos get upwards of 7 million views on Facebook alone, guys. She has YouTube channels, countless other pages share her stuff, but just on Facebook, 7 million. She has a book out called New American Best Friend, and she is an all-around feminist icon. So I could rave about her for the next 20 minutes, but I think we should just jump right into this interview. So please help me welcome today's special guest, Olivia Gapwood. So let's talk. Thank you for coming on the podcast. This is so awesome, and they're going to be so excited to hear from you. Yeah, I'm really excited. Can you hear me okay? My friend is showering and playing lemonade (laughs) in the background very loudly, but I don't know. No, no, no. That's perfect. It's fine. All right, so let's get into it. I'm super excited to have you on again. Uh, you're obviously a lady boss, and I can't wait to have you answer these questions. Yay! <laughs> All right, so let's jump in. I first saw you with a Manic Pixie Dream Girl. Mm-hmm. That came out a little while ago. Can you talk about the inspiration behind that? Okay, so we're like 20 seconds into this interview, and I realized I already have to explain something. So I just started asking her a question about Manic Pixie Dream Girl. It's a poem that she wrote a couple years ago. I want to say it was like two years ago. And Manic Pixie Dream Girl is described as a stock character in films. She's usually the bubbly, shallow character. She kind of exists as a... She's a thing to be chased for men. You know what I mean? She's not like a real in-depth character. She's just there because she's pretty and bubbly. And uh, usually is like mysterious and adventurous, but really is just surface level. An example of this kind of girl would be Summer from 500 Days of Summer or, let's see, Margot from Paper Towns or something like that. You guys get the idea. So, back to the episode. Sure. Um, so I had like read about this trope oh, oh, pretty long before I wrote the poem. Um, and it didn't immediately like strike me. I remember reading about it and thinking it was really interesting, but not seeing necessarily a personal connection to it Mm -hmm. um and then it actually was more was less inspired by film I know a lot of the references in the poem are to films but it was less inspired by film and more inspired by my own personal relationships I think that I started to see a pattern in my love life of people who 
seemed very interested in me and seemed very interested in in this idea that they had of me and sort of the moment that I became a more dynamic person, um, specifically a person with like more than four emotions, <laughs> right? Um, or a person who wasn't always charming or wasn't always quirky or wasn't always like, wasn't always maintaining this ideal what, of what they thought that I was, they lost interest. Right. Um, and you know, it was more nuanced than just that because of course it was a relationship and I had my part and there was, there was more to say, but I think that this was a pattern I saw happening to not only myself, but other women in my life, specifically women who maybe like prided themselves on being, um, I don't know the word, but like more off kilter, maybe women who were artists and women Mm who, um, who didn't follow conventional rules of the way that they were supposed to be in the world. And this was attractive to some people. Um, But then it was just so interesting because it was like the moment that myself or any of these women I knew showed anger or sadness or jealousy. um, They just got kind of pushed to the side. Um, And so I revisited the idea of the Manic Pixie Dream Girl because I'd remembered reading about it and then started to see it in these films and play it to my own life. Um, and what happened was we were writing a, I was on a, a poetry team and we were writing a group poem about how they're about like which movie tropes, which movie stereotypes we didn't want to identify with, but did, Mm -hmm. um, which characters we saw ourselves in, no matter how much we didn't want to, or like, sort of like if I was a movie character, who would I be? And I was like, Oh, I would absolutely be the manic pixie dream girl. Like there's no way I wouldn't. Um, and then I found myself writing it and really desperately wanting to give this character more of a voice because if you notice and you if you watch these films where there are manic pixie dream girls and you pay close attention to their dialogue you can often find that they say nothing about their internal selves oh, or desires or motives everything they say is around how they can help the man oh, yes. um so i wanted to give her a voice that was bigger than that maybe sarcastic maybe angry mm-hmm. maybe honest um so we wrote the group poem but i we ended up trashing the group poem and giving myself the solo just because I think I had the most to say about it. (laughs) Right. Um, So that's kind of what happened with Manic Pixie. That is so relevant and perfect to right now. There's so much pressure to be like this perfect put together girl, never show emotions. And I Mm -hmm. appreciate that poem so much. That and uh, the one about resting bitch face. Oh my God. (sighs) That is such a huge problem, like, walking down the street and all of a sudden it's, why don't you smile? You'd be prettier if you smiled. Well, yeah, yeah, like, totally. Like, say something funny and then maybe. <laughs> it's ridiculous. Right. No, exactly. So, yeah, no, you- I agree. I think what's interesting about both of these phenomenons is that it's not just that you're not supposed to have emotions. It's that you're supposed to have a certain range of emotions right. and not just a certain range but a certain range of emotions at exactly the right time. So you're never supposed to be inconvenient to anyone. Mm -hmm. Like you should be smiling when you're supposed to be smiling. You should be angry when you're supposed to be angry in the eyes of someone else. You should be sad when you're supposed to be sad. But if, you know, if someone, if you're ruined, if you ruin someone's day or if you like disrupt any kind of 
norm that someone had created for you, it becomes this nuisance or this problem. Right. And that is what I found to be impossible about it was it was like, this is actually a set of rules that are unpredictable, that are based in your mind and that I can't, I cannot possibly follow, right. you know? Yeah. So, yeah. That idea of being like a nuisance, you bring that up, not necessarily a nuisance, more of a liability in directives. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Where did the inspiration for that one come from? Because that was so powerful. Hey, me again. Uh, If you're listening to this right now, go ahead and hit pause and go watch her poem, Directives. It's hard to listen to because it is so powerful and important, but it's just that. So you need to go listen to it and come right back. Hit pause. This can wait. I'm so serious. Hit pause. Thank you. Um, So directives I wrote a very long time ago. It's definitely an older poem. Um, I wrote it, to be honest, I just learned about this. I learned about this epidemic of sexual assault in the military. And what struck me when I learned about it was not just like the high numbers of women being sexually assaulted, but the way in which there was such a systematic erasure of it. There was such this like organized cover-up in these very specific and legal ways, which was wild to me. And um, I struggled with how to write it. And at the time, you know, I was, I don't know, I, I struggled with how to write it. And I was, was trying to figure out which perspective I wanted to take because, you know, I'm not, I'm not a veteran. I'm not right. in, affiliated with the military. And now, to be honest with you, I wrote that poem when I was 19. I'm 25 now. Mm-hmm. Um to be honest with you, I don't know that I would have written that poem today. I don't know that it was entirely my story to tell. I've not gotten any criticisms from women soldiers, so I've always said that the day I do is the day I'll stop writing it. Right. Um, but I haven't so far. You know, I've gotten, I've found a lot of community in it actually, and yeah, have, definitely. have been exposed to communities I otherwise wouldn't have. But back then, I I wanted to write the poem, and I struggled with how to write it. And I knew I couldn't write it from the perspective of a woman soldier because it's not my story. I didn't want to just write a PSA in which I kind of yelled about this thing because I didn't really know where to start. So what I did, what I realized is that when the military acts in these ways, when they terminate these women, um, when they discharge these women because of being sexually assaulted and say that it's for emotional problems, they're sending a message about a set of rules that these women are supposed to abide by. They're Mm -hmm. saying, if you don't want to be terminated, you need to not report your assault. Um, And it was just so clear to me that they had created this kind of invisible set of directives for women soldiers to follow in order to keep their jobs. And they were showing these women soldiers this by terminating other women. And I think we see that happen outside of the military too. I think we see that happen on college campuses when Oh, definitely. Gr- girls report their assaults and then are forced to stay in classes with the man who assaulted them, right? Mm-hmm. Or are, you know, I think we see this everywhere. And or women who, you know, refuse a stranger's advances at a bar and are attacked in the parking lot. Like this creates a set of rules for women to follow and for people outside of women to follow. Um that say, hey, if you do this, this is what will happen. So don't do this. So I decided to create a set of rules um, that was just really clear to me that existed. So, yeah. I think you did it in the perfect way. It wasn't saying that I've been through this and I know, but we as women all have to relate to this kind of concept of what it means to be reporting in 2017, especially with our current political climate. Right. Yeah, no, exactly. I think that's true. Yeah, I've struggled with the with the 
the fact that that poem is not my story. Um, and, you know, I, I hope that I did it in the right way. Mm-hmm. And I think that I did it as well as I could have, for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, but I try to also be sensitive to the fact that it's not mine, you know, and that not every woman soldier had this experience. But what I do know is that many women soldiers have. Right. Um, what I do know is that it is an epidemic and it does happen. It happens all the time. And so I hope that it's something that people talk about. For sure. I know we need to get this conversation going and I'm glad that you are speaking up about it. That and thank you. All the other feminist issues you cover so many and I don't want to keep you forever. But let's jump over to uh, you have a poem and it's called alternate universe in which I am unfazed by men who do not love me. And I spit coffee all over the place at this line. You say, the boy says period sex is disgusting and I slaughter a goat in his living room and I just about died. So where did you come up with it's the whole poem is just so witty and fantastic. How did you get that idea? Thank you. Um, So this is a poem that I usually write from a place, believe it or not, I usually write from a place of joy. Mm -hmm. Um, People probably wouldn't guess that based on my poems, but (laughs) I find it much easier to tackle ideas when I'm happy because I can look back from a place of clarity and write the poem versus when I'm angry or sad, I feel very muddled in that. Mm -hmm. But this poem, Alternate Universe, I wrote when I was really angry. Um, I had just gotten out of a relationship that was riddled with small jobs, like the ones I named in the poem, comments about my hair and my body and... um, And I think that what I landed in was realizing, like, this person doesn't love me. And I'm spending all of this time trying to get them to love me. And if they wanted to love me, they would. And they don't. And so, and it was a bruise to the ego to admit that. Because Mm -hmm. how could someone not love you, you know? And how could you love someone who doesn't also love you? It's like, haven't we had the same experience of the world? How is this possible? But I found that when I realized that, I stopped it was a harsh bruise, but I stopped wasting time. I was able to let it go. And so what I did in that moment of anger was I, what made me angry was I started to think about how much time I had wasted, um, mourning these men who don't love me. Um, Mm -hmm. and when I kind of collected those hours, I was like, Whoa, that is brutal (laughs) to like realize, you know, it was summer. I remember, And I had, like, not gone outside, you know, and I hadn't, like, seen the sun. And I just bought a bicycle, and I hadn't ridden the bicycle. And it was just, like, what am I doing wasting this time? And so I started to type in my phone. It wasn't even a poem. I think it was just an idea. It was, like, a an exercise. When I realized how much time I'd wasted, I thought to myself, well, what could I have done with this time instead? Mm -hmm. And then it became fun because then I just started to think of all these weird scenarios and started (laughs) to get just really ridiculous and play around. And that's where the like period sex line came from. And the, um, choke me line (laughs) came from. I just was like, let's see how ridiculous I can get. So for the people um, that don't know what you're talking about, the boy doesn't ask if he can choke me. So I pretend to die while he's doing it. I die. Exactly. That is hilarious. <laughs> Thank you. Because I pictured that happening and that would be so fucking funny. I can't. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I thank you. Yeah. I, I just, it, that poem was really, truly just in the notes on my phone and I just didn't even, 
I didn't think that it would become a poem. I didn't think that it would resonate in any way deeply with anyone. I just wrote it. And then Mm -hmm. um, the more I started like reading it aloud, I was like, oh, maybe this is a poem that I wrote on accident. So, Mm -hmm. but it's regularly, it's also a poem that has like regularly served as a reminder even to myself because I continue to do it after writing the poem, continue to kind of waste time on people who... Mm -hmm didn't love me and well we all do that yeah we all do I think we do and so you know that poem has served as a regular reminder to it's like one day you were in a place where you wrote this so Mm -hmm. maybe yeah get back to that place right so what advice would you have for girls then that are in that situation right now they're dealing with a relationship where the guy or girl just doesn't love them and they're wasting their time Mm. well you know I think it's hard because I think that People often, in many relationships, maybe just relationships that are, I don't know if they're necessarily toxic, but maybe relationships that are just not good ones, that just don't feel good, they don't make you feel good, mm-hmm. um, so maybe inherently toxic. Uh, I think it's really hard to get out of them before you're ready. I think some people need to, can you hear my friend singing? Yeah, it's fantastic. It's, don't worry oh about it. Oh my God. Okay. Can you hear me okay, though? Yeah, you're good. Okay. She's singing Freedom by Beyonce. Oh, I don't, um, I don't blame her. It's fine. Sing away. <laughs> um, so, <laughs> I'm sorry. Um, okay, so I think that it can be really hard to get out of a relationship before you're ready. I think many times people need to exhaust all their options Mm -hmm. before they can get out. You know, it's those moments where you feel like you've given your friend the same advice a million times and she keeps going back. Mm -hmm. Um, And the truth is she's not going to get out until she's ready. She's not going to get out until she has grown from it and can see it from the outside in or until she has reached a final straw kind of. But that being said, I think, part of the reason we stay in a lot of relationships that don't make us feel good is because we convince ourselves that if we did this differently, it would change. If I just toned down my emotions, if I just stopped being so needy, if I just stopped being so jealous, or maybe if I took up this hobby, or maybe if I bought these clothes, maybe if I became friends with all of their friends or like, you know, we come up with all these ideas about what this person needs. And if we can become it, then it'll change. And I think, it can be really hard, but a really empowering thing to say, Hey, maybe this person just doesn't love me. Mm -hmm. And maybe if I have, if I feel the need to change all these things about myself, if I feel the need to make myself smaller in order to fit inside of their life, maybe this is not the person for me because they don't love me. And why on earth would you want to waste time on someone who doesn't love you? So I think what I would say to girls who are in that position is to, is to play around with that idea ask yourself, does this person love me? Um, and if you're landing on no, ask yourself, what's the point then? Yeah. Um, and that's what I would say. Yeah. That's so important, especially to the girls that are, because when you start to change every little thing about yourself, you eventually start to lose yourself. Yeah. And I, I know it's important for girls to go through these relationships, but I feel like it just keeps getting worse. I hear these horror stories about it, but. Yeah. You know, I think that it can happen. Like, I agree. I think that there are ways in which those experiences are formative. And I also think there are ways in which like it can really fuck up your life to be honest with you. Um, And I'm speaking from a place of experience. Mm -hmm. Like I'm 25 and have not mastered this art of 
only being in healthy relationships. I don't know if anyone I don't is, think but, there is anyone that's done that in history. Oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> but I think that there are ways in which like, if we don't start naming this as a pattern, if we don't start, if we don't start teaching girls that they deserve to be treated well, they will continue to be in relationships in which they're being treated badly. And I can't imagine a world in which that is like, Oh, well they need to learn or, well, they need, they need this. Like, it's like, at what point does it actually just start being harmful? Mm -hmm. Um, and I think I realized that for myself, you know, I turned 25 and was like, wait a second. When, hold on one second. (laughs) Can you just turn it down a little bit? (laughs) Hold on. She's, She's gasping now. It's okay. Um, Everybody loves Beyonce and it's totally fine. No, yeah. She (laughs) loves Beyonce a lot. Um, But yeah, so I think that it's okay. No, it's okay. It's uh, wonderful. It added to the experience of this interview. (laughs) Um, Yeah, so I think that I I just wonder at what point does it become, does it move away from formative and start being actually really detrimental to the self and to a person's idea? And I don't want anyone to wake up at 25 and say, Hey, I actually don't know how to love in a healthy way. What do I do? You know, I want people to learn that a lot earlier. Mm -hmm. And I think that's kind of what I dedicate my work to is hopefully talking to teen girls about how to maybe get that going earlier. Oh, you can see it in all of your work. It's strong and opinionated and unapologetic. You are such an example to young girls and you are only just getting started. I can't wait to see more from you. Thank you. I really appreciate that. Yeah, of course. So one last thing. Let's talk about your book, New American yeah. Best Friend, right? Mm-hmm. So tell me a little bit about it. Is it your ones that you post online or new stuff? It's both. Um, new American Best Friend has a couple of poems in it that you can find on YouTube. For the most part, it's new It's I guess some, some poems are new. I mean, it took me two years to write, so mm-hmm. some of the poems are fairly old but um it's a chronolog it's largely chronological not entirely but mostly chronological split into four sections um in which I mostly just use the idea of memory and anecdote as a way of talking about things like queerness and the body and sex and girlhood um so I sort of approached these bigger topics by talking about very very small moments in my life so um moments that I think maybe could seem unspectacular, um, but that have been very influential to me and my life and my idea of self. And so, uh, it, it also follows, it's very, it's fairly geographic. So I lived in Albuquerque until I was 10 years old. And then I moved to Trinidad, Mm -hmm. um, in the Caribbean when I was 10, um, and lived there till I was 13 and came back to America at 13 and moving back to America at 13 was a really, really, difficult experience because what happened is I had learned I had moved away from America when I was a child and came back as a teenager which when you're a girl becoming a teenager is a big deal Mm -hmm. um, because it means you go from in many people's eyes from human to object in a lot of ways from Mm -hmm. child to object from non-sexual being to potentially sexual being and so I had learned how to be a teenager in Trinidad and it's not to say that objectification of young girls doesn't happen in Trinidad but it is an extremely different experience um 
And so I had kind of mastered it in Trinidad. And then I came back to America and had to start all over. And suddenly the expectations of me were different. Expectations of my body were different. Um, What was considered beautiful was different. And so I had to like start all over and it was really tough. And it, um, it meant that I put myself in a lot of scenarios that I was trying I was trying to be my biggest self, but was putting myself in some really unsafe, scary places Mm -hmm. in order to be seen as desirable or valuable. Mm -hmm. And so the book follows that. And then it goes into my adulthood, my relationships and, you know, all of the above. (laughs) (laughs) So where can we find your book? Is it on Amazon, Barnes and Noble? Yeah, you can find it anywhere. It's It's at Barnes and Noble and most states um it's on amazon it's on indiebound it's on buttonpoetry.com um one day it'll be at a used bookstore (laughs) so you can find it anywhere you can also come to one of my shows and i sell them there as well okay great so before i let you go i just want to acknowledge you for being so incredibly powerful and teaching young girls what it is to be a woman and being unapologetic and being a boss it's just you're fantastic (laughs) Thank you so much. I really appreciate that. It was so good to talk to you. You too. Have a good day. Tell your friend to uh, keep singing Beyonce. I'm so sorry to interrupt her jam session. (laughs) Oh, I'll promote her. Her name is Oompa, and she's a beautiful singer. Yeah? She, yeah, actually gorgeous. Can yeah, you, so good. Can you spell her and name? Just because <laughs> Oompa? Like... Oompa. Yeah, O-O-M-P-A. Okay, cool. Um, link me to this when it's ready, all right? Yeah, definitely. Have a good one. Thank you. Okay, everybody, that was Olivia Gatwood. If you want to follow her on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, all of it is under Olivia Gatwood. Twitter, at Olivia Gatwood. Instagram, Olivia Gatwood. And then on Facebook, you can like her Facebook page. So thank you all for listening, and have a good night, guys. Bye.